can have your Sasquatch. Your abominable snowman. My name is Big Paw. I supersede them all. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and way back in 1980, Stan and Jan Berenstain were writing the popularity of their book series, The Berenstain Bears. You might have heard of it. It concerns bears. They were also writing the success of their 1979 NBC holiday television special, The Berenstain Bears Christmas Tree. You might have heard of it. It concerns Christmas and trees. One year later, with the smell of multimedia success still firmly up their nostrils, the Berenstains released a second holiday special. This one concerned that holiday that wasn't Halloween and wasn't Christmas, but served as a bridge between the two for many kids. Yes, I'm referring to Thanksgiving, or the one where you don't get stuff. Thanksgiving, that not-so-holy day where relatives show up to eat and complain, and watch football, and fall asleep on the couch while you play with your loud and strangely aggressive cousins, Thanksgiving, a time for giving thanks for things, everything, yeah, everything, everything. The 1980s Thanksgiving special was called The Berenstain Bears Meet Big Paw. You might have heard of it. I actually covered it two years ago in episode 29. Wow, two years ago. When I was still in my youthful 30s, Bradley Mariska and Jeremy Gloff dropped by to chat about cartoons, and I struggled to get Skype to operate properly. You might remember that episode. It went a little something like this. I kept wanting to call this the Berenstain Bears and the Legend of Big Paw, because mm-hmm. that's the name of the Pound Puppies movie. Yes. I, yeah. I, that one shows up once in a while when you Google it. You end yeah, up the, with the Pound Puppies. The, the Legend of Big Paw. And I'm like, wow, there's... I guess in as far as like anthropomorphic animal legendary goes, many species will have their 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 big paw character. <laughs> well, I mean, they never do address where big paw came from. Is he like their Aslan? I don't, maybe big paw is the one who connects all of. I mean, like the great grizzly race, maybe isn't that far uh, removed oh, right. from pound puppy world. I don't know. Oh, we were so young and naive. Well, as Brad and Jeremy pointed out, that holiday special went on to be adapted a couple of times as a storybook, a coloring book, and later as a chapter book. The storybook is pretty much a direct translation of the special, but the chapter book... This week, we take a look at that chapter book. It's not what you think. It's so much more, and in a way, so much less... What do you get when you take a holiday special, remove the holiday, take out the theme of generosity, add a bunch of characters, and insist on trying to make Lizzie Bruin happen? You get 1995's The Berenstain Bear Scouts Meet Big Paw. Now, the plot is roughly the same between the two stories. Through witchcraft, Bear Country is alerted to the imminent arrival of the legendary Big Paw, a monster who can destroy the whole town. The cubs accidentally encounter Big Paw in his cave atop Great Grizzly Mountain, where he saves one of them. They discover he's actually a nice, if gruff, giant and stop an all-out battle by getting between the town and their new friend. Lessons are learned. Hugs are hugged. Everyone goes home happy. That's the rough plot. 
But uh, uh, things get a lot more complicated in the 90s. First off, remember this is a Bear Scouts book, which means the whole plot has a new frame. In the special, it was Thanksgiving, and the Big Paw legend was tied into him returning when the town had grown so greedy they no longer thought of those less fortunate. Big Paul was seen as some sort of cleansing angel, an avatar for God's wrath upon bear country. In the novel, we're given no such message. Instead, there's a whole introductory chapter where the scouts are choosing another merit badge to collect, and they decide on rock climbing, but are nervous because they need an adult sponsor for the badge. They decide Actual Factual can help them learn to climb rocks, as he's always looking for fossils out in the mountains. Meanwhile, Grizzly Gran is holding her annual fortune-telling party at the Spring Street Festival. Now, this is similar to Mama's fortune-telling in the original cartoon in two ways. One, it involves reading the flower-covered drippings of a honeycomb. And two, what the heck? Now, remember, this is 1995, so we're still a ways away from the overtly religious overtones of the Bear books. And it's not like the Zondervan books ever come out against fortune-telling, but to see it not only embraced by the entire community, but to ultimately prove an accurate way to predict the future within the reality of the story is, if it's not jarring, it's at least a little incongruous compared to what we've grown accustomed to. But, accurate as it proves to be, Grizzly Grand sees the sign of Big Paw in her honey, which means the legendary monster is on his way to bear country. Now, again, Big Paw in this iteration of the tale is not a punishment being visited upon the town. Bear Country has not recently become any more selfish or avaricious than it ever was. I mean, if anything, it just seems like bad luck. Also, Big Paw goes from being a somewhat supernatural legend to something more like a modern-day cryptid. Now, for those of you playing along at home, the term cryptid refers to any animal whose existence is disputed or unsubstantiated, like your... uh, Monsters Loch Ness, your Snowman's Abominable, or your Mothed Men. In this case, it's clearly Bigfoot, the legendary ape-man and possible cause of over 1,000 disappearances in our national parks that the Berenstains are hoping comes to mind. So this works within the context of the Bear Scouts. Recall that they are essentially acting as a new variation of the Bear Detectives, a group of kids who hunt down clues and discover the truths at the heart of a conspiracy. See also their association with Professor Actual Factual, whose healthy skepticism keeps the kids on the right side of rational. Now, Actual Factual, of course, believes in none of this fortune-telling nonsense, but he does acknowledge that creatures like Big Paw did once exist in the mountains outside of town, but they are now extinct, much like a pickle. I try to explain the whole pickle extinction analogy that the book puts forward, but I don't understand it myself, and it makes me kind of crazy or angry to think about. Just know that actual factual bites a pickle, and it's crispy, and extinction. So, meanwhile, Ralph Ripoff, our lovable Ralph Ripoff, eavesdrops on the scouts and the professor, and hears them talking about going to dig up fossils in the mountains, which Ralph somehow misinterprets as digging up treasure. So Ralph steals their map and decides to hoof it through Sinister Swamp up to Table Rock on Great Grizzly Mountain and dig up the treasure because the scouts before the scouts get there, in dollar signs in his eyes or something. It's a shaky plan. Oh, and by the way... We, the readers, have already met Big Paw. He's introduced in a remarkably similar fashion to the cartoon, tromping through sinister swamps, scaring the other animals, and even singing a variation of the song he performed in the special. He's got his club-slash-guitar, no pants, and a smile. Well, 
The scouts and the professor make it up to Table Rock, so named because of a flat rock balancing on top of the mountain like a like a table, I guess. They find a mysterious cave, but before they can investigate, actual factual falls off the mountain. Yep, he just he just falls and would be dead were it not for a giant hand that reaches out to catch him and pull him into the cave. Now, this is where one of my favorite lines from the book occurs. Quote, The bear scouts were in shock. They wouldn't have been surprised if bits and pieces of the professor had come flying out of the cave. So thank you. Thank you, Leo, Stan, whoever, for making me imagine bits and pieces of actual factual flying out of a fetid cave. Well, the scouts investigate said cave, which is littered with the carcasses of numerous hapless animals, and find actual factual taking measurements of his new friend, Big Paw. Unfortunately, Ralph has gotten to the cave as well and sees Big Paw's shadow cast by the flames of the campfire. Ralph interprets the giant shadow to be that of a giant bear, which I need to add, it is, and runs off to warn the town. So, the role that was once filled by Papa in the cartoon is now filled by Ralph, which doesn't make much sense. So this is the mercenary bear who one book ago was ready to hand over the whole town to the weasels, who were going to overthrow the town with violence, with guns and cannons and giant machines. It just doesn't seem like Ralph to risk his life to save people. Also, it gives Mama and Papa very little to do. They were sort of the uh, the, the yin and yang of the original cartoon, with Mama being far more rational and level-headed and Papa flying off the handle and calling up armies. In the book, they're just shuffled off to the background. You don't really ever see Mama or Papa take much action after the the initial conversations about the imminent arrival of Big Paul. Also, this is the moment that in the cartoon, the whole town takes up arms to go kill Big Paul. And you'd think that the chapter book's emphasis on more conventional storytelling would alter this reaction, but nope. They literally grab their guns and cannons. Mayor Honeypot even dons his uniform from the Great Bear War, whatever that is, and begin advancing on the cave. So right now, things are somewhat confused. Whereas the special spent about half its length on the bears coming to arms, the book only gets to that point near the very end. We are just a couple of chapters away from the last page of the book. Plus, it spends a lot of time on Ralph and extinction theory and plate tectonics, and there's a lot going on. So in the cartoon, the cubs are trapped between the angry mob and Big Paw, who's threatening to topple a big pile of rocks onto the bears below. But Big Paw sees the cubs there, he saves them in front of the crowd, and that sways the town's actions. In the book, brother and sister deliberately position themselves between Big Paw and the mob, chastising the mob for turning violent against a creature they know nothing about. The mob listens to reason and throws down their weapons. The cartoon ends with everyone sitting down to a holiday feast, while the book ends with Ralph stealing a doctor's watch. Dr. Bairden, who, by the way, what? Who? It just ends with Ralph stealing someone's watch, and that's it. And that's it. That's that's the Berenstain Bear Scouts meet Big Paw in a nutshell. It's not very scouty, and it's a weird adaptation of the cartoon, but I guess that's what we're in for with these Bear Scout books. Weird adaptations of cartoons. So they're really going out of their way to establish the Bear Scouts world as a separate universe, or continuity. So this is a world that relies heavily on the shenanigans of Ralph and the Weasels, and as we'll see, Big Paw. That's right. We haven't seen the last of Mr. Paw. No, sir. He's a regular player in the cartoon, so we know that he'll be popping up again. In a way, these books so far, the Bear Scouts books, are the least Berenstain Bearsy books we've covered. 
the tone is is far more action oriented. The cubs are loosely sketched, and the bear family is pushed way off to the side. Now, maybe I've been pampered by the fun and continuity of the big chapter books, but the bear scout novels they seem so cobbled together, and the cubs just so generic. I mean, it's only the second book, but I read it twice, and I forgot that Fred and Lizzie were even supposed to be in it, and they're there the whole time. So we we were just getting. The, the scouts themselves, brother, sister, Fred and Lizzie, are each given a general stereotypical personality trait, uh, with Fred being the know-it-all and Lizzie being the sort of super-powered one with good eyesight, can talk to animals, and then brother and sister kind of just being bland, do-gooder versions of brother and sister. And that's it. When you're reading the books, it really becomes confusing if you're not really paying much attention to who's talking because the Cubs all kind of act the same once you get into the action. And that makes sense because these were plots originally devised to mostly just have brother and sister as the as the primary Cubs. So you've sort of slotted other Cubs into these two roles and it doesn't it doesn't help the story at all. However, on the positive side, the illustrations by Mike Berenstain are super nice. We get really great shots of Big Paw just being Big Paw out in the swamp. We get Ralph getting progressively beaten up as he climbs Great Grizzly Mountain and comes back down Great Grizzly Mountain. Uh, we get some nice interactions with the animals in the swamp who, while they're not exactly as kooky as the animals in the cartoon, they're still super expressive. Uh, Mike also gets to show his knack for detail in the way he delicately lays out the mountaineering equipment. In fact, this whole book is a great showcase for Mike's talents. It's outdoorsy and action-packed, which lets Mike really cut loose and draw the things he likes to draw. Animals, plants, nature, machinery, uh, just the stuff that you see a lot of in his uh, self-written, self-published books. Uh, He has a great knack for detail, and he really likes doing the work and the research and drawing things very specific and uh, functional. So if you're looking for some great Mike illustrations, I just can't recommend this book enough. Uh, So do I like it? Which is better, the book or the show? I think it really misses out on having the Thanksgiving plot. It leaves a lot of it feeling less important as a story, but it does set up the character of Big Paw very nicely. If I had to say... It's not an easy book to get your hands on. I mean, it is an easy book to get your hands on, but it's you have to go through go through sources. You have to go through used book dealers online because, again, these Berenstain Bear Scout books are not in print, and as of this recording, aren't even available as ebooks. They are simply available as paperback copies that you buy from used bookstores. Uh, it wasn't expensive, just a couple of bucks. So if you want to fill out your bookshelf with all the Berenstain Bear chapter books, then go ahead and you know pick up a copy. But if you're just looking for a good story, honestly, I would just throw on the original special. It's available online uh, at the Berenstain Bears official YouTube channel. That again, they've released all of these all of these cartoons online, so you can go to YouTube, go to the Berenstain Bears, meet Big Paul, and find it officially released by them, uh, and watch it for free and without any guilt about having to get it through uh, ulterior motives. So, you know, I would say if, you, if, you're, if you're looking for a book, then fine, but there's a lot of other better, the big chapter books so far have been a better source of Berenstain Bear chapter-based entertainment. Uh, again, I'm only on the second Bear Scouts book, but they seem to be a little going through the motions-y. Uh, so that's it for the 1995 book, The Berenstain Bear Scouts Meet Big Paw. Again, I am Phil Gonzalez. Thank you so much for supporting it. What's that? Oh, 
there's a new feature happening on Deep in Bear Country, and I'm excited about it. So let's get to it. It's the Patreon question of the week. Will there be a question every week? I don't know. I guess it depends on how many people support me on Patreon at the $5 a month level. But we do have a Patreon question from Patreon supporter Michael who asks, Let's pretend that 10 years have passed and the Cubs, or Bears as they would be by then, are at the Bear Country School Reunion. What are our old favorites up to? Who's moved away? Who stayed? Who is living in their parents' basement? And what are Mama and Papa doing? Okay, this is a major question to ponder. I mean, let's think about 10-year reunions, shall we? 10 years after high school, most people are into what they think is their first career, typically based on or around or adjacent to whatever it was their major happened to be. But they're rapidly growing tired of it and considering grad school, right? I mean, that's how things work for regular people, right? People who have degrees that they can use towards acquiring jobs. I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing here. So what would be this reunion? Who would be at it? Now, I'm going to operate under the assumption that it's a, like a block reunion for students of, let's say, a five-year chunk. Otherwise, due to the size of Bear Country's student population, it would be far too small. So, of course, we're going to see brother and sister bear. Brother got a scholarship. Brother got a soccer scholarship to Bear Country University, where he dual majored in political science and journalism. In his sophomore year, he suffered a knee injury on the field and was forced to drop the sport, but he was able to finish his education and get a job at the Bear Country Gazette upon graduation. As the junior sports analyst for the paper, Brother Bear quickly rose in the ranks, achieving local recognition for an investigative article he wrote on the Grismire-slash-Grizzly betting scandal. However, the fallout he experienced because of that piece left Brother disillusioned as to the viability of a career in local journalism. At the time of the reunion, Brother is living in an apartment in Big Bear City contemplating his future and just beginning the skeleton of what will one day become the first of a five-part series of mystery novels. Sister went to Bear Country University hoping for a degree in social work, but in her freshman year she got involved in community organizing, helping found Bear Country's first crisis center for runaway cubs. Finishing college with a degree in nonprofit administration, Sister is now the youngest member of Bear Country's Council of Nonprofits, helping coordinate volunteer opportunities between organizations as well as helping new nonprofits streamline their missions and explore new fundraising opportunities. At the time of the reunion, Sister is single but dating and living with a roommate in an apartment just outside of Beartown. She still sees Lizzie Bruin from time to time and briefly dated Ferdy Factual her freshman year in college. Things are cool between them, though. Speaking of Lizzie, following scout leader Jane's death their junior year in high school, Lizzie took over as interim scout leader for the younger Bear Scouts of Bear Country. Unable to shake the great feelings of loss brought about by the absence of her mentor, Lizzie established Jane's Cubs, a charitable foundation that promotes leadership skills for underprivileged cubs in Bear Country and its surrounding environs. Lizzie stayed in Beartown to oversee the foundation while attending classes at Bear Country Community College. It was there that she started spending extra time with Too Tall, who was attending business management classes after taking over the running of his father's junkyard following Two Ton's sentencing from the Grismire-slash-Grizzly betting scandal. Lizzie and Too Tall found in one another kindred spirits, 
Lizzie's parents having split up three years previous, and Barry Bruin having left home to seek his fortune in the mountains and ultimately landing in jail for his association with the Bog Brothers. As of the time of this reunion, Lizzie and Tutal have moved in together, and though the relationship is at times volatile, Tutal is proving himself to be a respectful partner, having cut ties with Scuzz and Smirk at Lizzie's request. Vinny, now a youth minister, still visits and occasionally helps, especially with the kids' entertainment portion of the reunion, setting up all the fun booths and providing free copies of his religious rap album, Giving It Up for the Lord. Queenie and Tutal called it quits for good in high school, and Queenie moved with her family to New York State her senior year. Queenie attended NYU on an art scholarship, but never responded to the reunion invitation. She's had a couple of gallery showings in Brooklyn, and she was featured in a cover article in Bear Arts Monthly. Her relationship status is unknown. Cousin Fred won the National Cub Academic Decathlon his senior year in high school and attended Bear Country University on a full scholarship. However, his sophomore year, Fred began experiencing crippling bouts of anxiety, which left him unable to attend classes. In his second semester, Fred moved back home and began a series of therapies and medications in order to alleviate many of his symptoms. Harry McGill, himself at BCU on a wheelchair basketball scholarship, and Fred began developing a rapport online and eventually started a support group for bears living with chronic health issues. Fred and Harry's friendship ultimately blossomed into a more domestic relationship, and the two of them plan on attending the reunion together as partners. Mama Bear and Papa Bear still live in a treehouse up a cerny dirt road deep in bear country. Papa's business continues to provide a steady income for the whole family, while Mama has expanded her role in the community, sitting on various boards for arts and health organizations, as well as continuing to coach the youth soccer program and softball teams. Papa has grown slightly more conservative in recent years, but he values his family enough to know when to keep his opinions to himself. Papa recently added an addition onto their treehouse to allow Mama more opportunities to entertain large groups and host fundraising gatherings. Honey Bear is a teenager and recently got caught sneaking out of the house to visit her boyfriend. She is grounded for a week. Who is Honey Bear, you may ask? See you later! Grizzly Gran and Gramps are still alive and well, although they moved out of their house and into a smaller condo in an older bear's community village. The cubs visit when they can, and despite the occasional ache or pain, Gramps and Gran are as healthy as ever. Gran tells fortunes for the community's residents, and Gramps offers his political insights to anyone within hearing range, which fortunately is a very small range in the retirement community. Bonnie Brown recently landed a featured role on Bears of Our Lives, the daytime soap opera. She's playing the role of Maddie, who appears one stormy night, claiming to be the long-lost cousin of the lead character, Susan Grizzleton, and the rightful heir of the local diamond millionaire. She's received many glowing reviews for her portrayal of Maddie. She and brother occasionally talk online, but their conversations are short and civil and rarely crack the surface. There's some old hurt there, but no one seems to know the story behind it. Bonnie has no plans to attend the reunion. Ferdy Factual graduated college at the age of 15 and received his first master's at 19 in, surprisingly enough, art conservation. He now works at his uncle's museum and has successfully expanded its art program and substantially improved its collection of ancient jade and papyrus. Trudy Brunowitz moved to the UK during the Cubs' junior year in high school, but she returned to the area after receiving her master's in playwriting from Berksford University and reconnected with Ferdy. Together, Ferdy and Trudy opened Beartown's first permanent civic theater, 
the Dirt Road Players, where they write and produce original works that reflect life in bear country. Their most recent musical is being workshopped and will be produced in concert as part of the 10-year reunion. Babs Bruno joined the military right out of high school. She is currently on deployment in the Middle East. All of the teachers are still working at Bear Country School, so don't worry about them. Uh, oh, you probably want to know more about Ralph Ripoff or Raffish Ralph, right? Well, this is interesting. It turns out Raffish Ralph Ripoff disappeared from Bear Country around the time the Cubs were sophomores in high school. The last anyone remembered seeing of him, he was sailing his houseboat through Sinister Swamp. Now, this struck some people as odd because as far as they know, his houseboat was never seaworthy. Still, it was obviously his houseboat and Ralph was clearly piloting. However, several witnesses claimed to have seen another bear on board the boat, standing just behind and off to the side of Ralph. It wasn't clear who the other bear was, but from their accounts, Ralph was behaving in an uncharacteristically reserved manner. Attempts to wave him down or elicit any form of greeting from him went either unnoticed or ignored, which anyone who saw this knew was out of Ralph's typically compulsively gregarious character. The night after the houseboat sightings, several loud booms were heard coming from the interior of Sinister Swamp near Forbidden Bog. The next day, Police Chief Bruno ventured into the swamp and discovered what appeared to be the remains of Ralph's houseboat, but... On closer examination, the pieces turned out to be random pieces of wood painted to resemble the sides of Ralph's boat. Further into the swamp, police found the remains of an adult male bear, but these were several years old. On investigation, however, the remains still had attached to them bits of clothing and fur that exactly matched those of Ralph Ripoff. Homicide detectives were stumped as to how the years-old remains of a bear seen only days before could have turned up in Sinister Swamp. Ralph's story, however, was far from over. Seven years later, a male adult bear staggered out of the Sinister Swamp, dehydrated, half-starved, and suffering from severe hypothermia, unusual, as he emerged in the middle of a particularly hot September. He appeared to be in his mid-seventies, and when asked his name, he could only answer, I was Ralph. He died in Bear Country Hospital without ever saying anything other than I was Ralph. He had been dressed in tattered rags and carried a valise that contained several sheets of yellowing paper covered in writing in an as yet unidentified language. Who was this bear? Was it Ralph, somehow aged decades in a few short years? Was the bear the community had known as Ralph really an imposter? Had the mystery bear been held prisoner in Sinister Swamp and escaped? Or were there forces far more sinister at work? And what to make of the strange rock formation found in the middle of Sinister Swamp and the weasel-like carvings that adorned each stone? If you have any information that could help the Bear Country Police Department identify this mystery bear, or if you have any information regarding the whereabouts of the bear known as Raffish Ralph Ripoff, Please contact Deep in Bear Country at BerenstainBearCast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at BStainBearCast. You may be able to help solve a mystery.